It's Thursday, February 8th, and this is the 1909 State News' weekly podcast featuring our reporters talking about the news. I'm your host, Alex Walters. This week, I'm joined by State News student affairs reporter DeMonte Thomas to tell us about a dramatic shakeup in MSU student government. Then, administration reporter Theo Shear will once again join the show to talk about his months-long passion project, exploring the history of the tunnels beneath MSU's campus. With that, let's start the show. All right. Joining the show, once again, Theo Shear, administration reporter, the State News, one of the best Theos, I think, in collegiate journalism. And no nepotism allegations about this one. Good one, Alex. That's a, it's good. You got it. It's yeah. a niche reference. Yeah, yeah. But the six people that if got you know, it, they loved it, I think. Probably. No, you were probably getting messages afterwards. <laughs> hey, Alex, nice one. Yeah. Uh, anyway, well, Theo, you're here to talk about something fun today, which yes. is rare. Normally, you come on and we get to talk about stuff that's not super fun. Um, so I was excited to bring you on. And before you get into it, I'll set the stage. Right. It's months ago. I believe it's October. Yes, that is. And for context, for those listening, this is, you know, a uh, football coach investigated for sexual harassment. You know, we're hearing word of an upcoming attempt to oust the chair of the university's board, all these allegations of wrongdoing. You know, this presidential search we're trying to crack into. We're doing a lot of very serious reporting. And you came to me and you said that you had this project, this big project that was going to be the best story of your career, the best thing you've done. And I was like, Theo, I can't even imagine this amazing just investigative scoop that you're talking about. And you said, Alex, there's a network of tunnels beneath MSU's campus with a rich history of shenanigans. Uh, and I was like, it's, you know, I, I respect that you're a crazy person, you know? And like, I was like, that's a nice pitch, right. you know, kind of whatever, you know? And then for months, you would just, you would just say, oh, I found this, or I found that. I talked to this person. I found this old book, this thing in the archives. And you have put together this 6,000-some word story with this rich history of everything that has gone on in this network of tunnels beneath MSU's campus that most of us don't even know about. And there's this whole world below the university. It's an amazing story. Those of you who are like, oh, I'll listen to the podcast, read it. Read it, too, and then listen to the podcast, or listen to the podcast and then read it. It's so well done. It's my favorite thing Theo's ever done. It's amazing. But you're here to talk all about it today. And first of all, before we get into all the details, I just, like, I can't imagine most people on this campus think about this kind of thing. How did you even, tunnels, like how did that, the steam tunnels beneath campus, how did you hear about this? How did this come to you? Why did you think to even look into this? Yeah, I mean, last semester, I had a few late classes. It's mm-hmm. getting darker out. Um, and I was walking home one day and it was it was very dark, but I couldn't help but notice under my feet, there was light. Mm-hmm. You look through these sewer grates, these circular yeah. grates, and there's like these little, little tiny little holes. Pumped. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's light shining through, and you can kind of see what's underneath. Yeah. And there are, you know, just like this sort of mess of like concrete and, and pipes, and it's just, it was so intriguing. Um, and I had heard that they're there are steam tunnels. Too. Yeah. There, there's like this if you walk around MSU's campus, you'll feel like those weird warm holes in the ground. Exactly. Yeah. It's very, it's, it's almost comforting, I think. Like mm-hmm. on, you know, winter days, it's just like, <laughs> You, you yeah. get that little that little bit of, of heat. Um, and I just started wondering, you know, I mean, what's really, what's down there? How far does that go? Because it's, it's all over campus, you yeah. know, all of these these little holes. And, um, you know, I started looking at the university archives. They had, like, you know, about a sentence or two on their website just about, you know, there are steam tunnels under the university. There are rumors about them, but they're not true. Um, and I was just, I was curious. I wanted to look into yeah. it more, and, and I did. I that. That's just so great. That's one of my favorite things about you is that most people, you know, including myself, walk around this campus, and it, it, it's it's massive, and there's thousands of students, right. and there's all this weird stuff, and we might observe something like that's kind of weird how there's all this light and heat coming out of these grates in the sidewalk, like, I, and they might wonder what goes down there. 
but you're, you know, a, a journalist at heart, you know, and you looked for the archives and you found this thing, but even that wasn't enough, and it sends you on this whole quest. So tell us, you know, before we get into all your findings about yeah. the history of the tunnels and who all's been down there and what they've been doing down there, I think the question on everyone's mind, the first question on my mind when you first told me about this was like, can we get down? Can we get in there? Can we go down there? Yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's the question. Yeah. You're not supposed to. First of all, no, I, of I should say it's it's against policy. Um, you know, you it's it's an ordinance violation. You could go to prison. You could uh, uh, pay a fine, etc. It's it's up to MSU DPPS. So, can you, um, you know, like can you physically access these? You've places? covered the should. You've said we should, but can we? Right? What I'm can we? At. Um, yes. You know, I, state news. Myself, I, we we found entrances uh, across yeah. campus that are open, left wide open, you know, uh, overnight, over you know, weeks on end, um, you know, that are just openable um, all over. And and, and you, yeah. of course, for the story, you've talked to plenty of people who've been down there. Yes, hung out and had a good time. Like, yeah, it's uh, supported by this this rich history of of people kind of you know going tunneling is what it's called. Okay, so you uh, totally can get down there. Exactly. Yes. But maybe more on the should. What is because you asked MSU about this. You said like, you right? Know, why shouldn't people go down there? And they told you, right? You know. Well, well, there's yeah. The pipes are, are very hot. Um, you know, obviously they're they're steam tunnels. They transport uh, steam to all the buildings. They heat all the buildings. Mm-hmm. So you know, you touch these pipes, you're going to be burned automatically, um, and it's it's dangerous. You know, you could get lost, um, etc. It's it's dangerous. Is is the whole okay. idea? Yeah. Yeah. And they say that another interesting note thing that I love in your story is that MSU tells you that there are these motion sensors all right. over the tunnels. So if anybody you know reads the state news gets some bad idea to go down there, they're going to be instantly detected and they're going to exactly. find you and they're going to lock you up. However, I mean, we did some FOIA work. And yeah, I, I I looked you know I did some public records requests. Yeah. Um, there haven't been any motion sensors bought for, for tunnel use in, in the past 24 uh, years, and these things only last about 20 years. Um, you know, when they're in the face of humidity and yeah. heat, uh, it's lower Sounds life spans. Yeah, right, and, and they are steamy down there. Yeah. So, so it's, I'm a little skeptical about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. But to be clear, MSU says there are motion sensors and they'll get you if you get on there. Right, right, but, so don't try it. Yeah. All right, well, we'll move on. We won't do the whole podcast just kind of vaguely encouraging people to go into steam tunnels, which right. is not yeah. our intention. It but, is not. Um, but, okay, so before you tell me, you know, you've talked to some more modern examples, some small mm-hmm. examples, but I think, like, the biggest story from these tunnels, maybe the reason people might already know about these tunnels is the story of Dallas Ebert, right, which is sort of this big part of the MSU zeitgeist, and there's a lot of sort of rumor and myth and things that are true and aren't true about this. You, for this story, have put together what you know, we believe is sort of a, a reputable retelling of that story and sort of the truth right. of it without some of these urban legends. Can you talk us through the case of Dallas? Because it's such a fascinating story. It is, and it gets in- misinterpreted uh, a lot. Yeah. Uh, people say that he, you know, there's a student in the 70s that went crazy in the tunnels and he you know, never got out, that he was part of a cult, et cetera. Mm-hmm. The truth but is a lot more complicated. Down there. Right, Don't exactly. Kind of like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. What really happened, and this is according to, you know, I, I talked to the investigator that actually ended up finding him. I read mm-hmm. the book, multiple books, actually. You've got it with you. I do, I do. Um, the yeah, I remember Master. when you brought this in. You showed me, <laughs> and if you'll show the camera the note in the book. Right. So this is, I got this from the MSU library. It says the tunnels are real Spooky. on the inside cover. Somebody and put as those in there. And as you reported, they are. They, for those they are of you real. They are real. listening and not watching our, our new video version of the podcast, that is sort of not an engaging bit we just did. <laughs> but you can imagine that he has this old... 
kind of yeah. crusty book and that there's like this creepy note and then anyway go on about Dallas right 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 so James Dal- Dallas Egbert III he goes by Dallas um, he enrolls in MSU in 1979 he's 15 years old he's a child prodigy wow. and he's already taken to kind of being a little bit dangerous he steals um, chemicals from university labs and he makes his own narcotics to support Ooh. his own you know drug addiction um, he does all these things and including he goes in the tunnels and he plays this game Dungeons and Dragons mm. and this is I mean you probably you're familiar with this game um, it's it's supposed to be played on on a tabletop it's like a fantasy role-playing type of thing mm-hmm. but he sort of he joins these groups that take it a little bit further at the time and they play it in these miles of tunnels in the tunnels under campus under campus playing Dungeons and Dragons exactly they hide all Talk these artifacts spooky. around it yeah they coordinate different things um, you know, eventually he's kicked out because they're worried about his age. He's so much younger and it's dangerous. Um, and, you know, he's also, he appears to be on drugs. Um, he kicks out, but that doesn't stop him from going in the tunnels. And he goes in them, I mean, sometimes multiple times a day. Uh, and it's kind of a place of refuge for him. Mm. There, he's bullied. He, he has problems. You know, he's confused over his sexuality. His, mm-hmm. his facing uh, pressure from his family in a number of different ways. And it's kind of a place of refuge for him. Um, on one day, it's 1979, um, August, and he goes down there. Uh, he goes into this small little alcove um, in the tunnels. He lights a joint. Um, he starts thinking about all these things, and he decides to take um, a handful of quaaludes mm. that he brings with him. Um, he takes them. He, he quickly passes out. Um, and and for th- quaaludes, for those not familiar, that's right, like a narcotic, right. that, that's like an overdose, a handful. Right, like exactly. To, this is... It's purposeful. He, he is trying to, yeah, end his life. Um, and, you know, days pass on the surface, and the family doesn't hear from their mm-hmm. son, who's at school very young, supposed to be under the protection of MSU. Yeah. And they call this private investigator, William C. Deer, um, to go and kind of do what police couldn't at the time, mm. uh, find their son, you know? Yeah. He flies to, to and you've, MSU. You've talked to this man. I've talked to He's still yeah. alive. He's still. He is. He's still kicking, and he still, he still has uh, a business, a private detective. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a business of his own. Um, often calls himself, you know, the real life James Bond. I should, oh. I should add. Yeah. 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 Real life James Bond. Right. Right. So I you mean, spoke to the real life James Bond. He told I you did. it's 1979. Going to East yeah, Lansing. Yeah, yeah, He's going to East Lansing. He's finding out everything he can. He finds out that he likes to go in the tunnels. Dallas oh. likes the tunnels. Um, and he requests MSU, um, you know, let me search him. Mm-hmm. He's He's got to be down there. You know, I know he likes it. It's dangerous. That's his place to be. Um, and at first, MSU says no, that in fact, the tunnels, you know, they're not accessible. I think orig- Deer told me that, you know, MSU told him that the tunnels didn't even exist. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm not sure... You know, you can take that at, at his word. But, um, you know, eventually, after a lot of tense conversations, MSU lets Deer search the tunnels mm. for Dallas. So him, a few of, of his partners and local police, they go on this, this two-day journey. Wow. And they just search the whole thing, you know, comb all of this network. I mean, there are miles of these tunnels, right? Yeah, Under right, this right. giant campus. I should say, currently, there are 13 miles of tunnels wow. under the campus. Um, at the time, I think it was a little bit less because there were less buildings. But uh, it's very hot. You know, he has to take breaks uh, because it's just like heat exhaustion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he describes in his book that he wrote about it, there's a little, like, metal clip on his overall that, like, during this time in the tunnels, it, it heats up to the point where it, like, it scorches through through the shirt into his skin. You know, it's, it's a dangerous environment, yeah. right? Eventually, he finds, you know, the joint, the, the quaaludes that Dallas left behind. Uh, but, but no, no Dallas. Dallas? No Dallas. Whoa. 
And he, <laughs> he keeps searching for him, tries all these kind of weird, wacky um, investigative methods. He doesn't find him until... Um, doesn't he... Because this is another yeah, great detail yeah, yeah. story. He engages in a game of tunnels, Dungeons and Dragons, to kind of get in, get well, in Dallas's head. Not in the tunnels. Oh. On on surface, but okay. just to kind of understand the allure of the game. He played um, just to kind of get in the kids' head. And tell yeah, us about yeah. too about trestling. Yeah, trestling. So, so Dallas, another, another Dallas hobby, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all these dangerous things. He used to go on train tracks. Um, you know, there's a, a train tracks. There's a trestle yeah. above the water, right? And this is actually something that a lot of some college students would do yeah. um, during this time. They would lay under the trestle and they would let a train pass by over their, their heads. So basically like, like inches above under, their face. Like in between the tracks underneath the train. Exactly. Wow. Yeah, you're underneath the train. Um, and Dallas would do that. He's a very skinny, uh, you know, person. Mm-hmm. So he was able to. Deer tried to, again, get inside of his head. He, he just put it upon himself to, um, you know, go to those same tracks and, and lay on them. He realized, though, as the train was moving towards him, it had this thing on it uh, meant to de- deflect objects in its path, like, you know, <laughs> large rocks or anything yeah, like that. Like a guy on the track. Right. It would yeah. have killed him, basically, if he had it realized, looked up, and then he, uh, he describes in the book at the last moment, I don't know how true that is, he, he jumps, <laughs> jumps off of the into way. the water. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, you know, saving his life inches from so death. So he's deep in this investigation. Yeah. Oh, Miles he's tunnels inside the kid's head. How does he end up actually... Like yeah. finding out what happened to Dallas. He gets a phone call from Dallas himself. <laughs> Dallas has survived the overdose. Um, he's crawled out of the tunnels, uh, you know, bounced around between a few East Lansing hosts, and eventually made him dis- made his way to, I believe, Morgan City, Louisiana. Uh, really? He's, you know, he's got like a kind of a part time job there. He's just sort of escaping from everything. And and he, this investigator who's been you know spending all this yeah, time, yeah, yeah. he just calls him. Yeah, he just calls him. Yeah. He's heard that he's, he's looking for him. He, he gives it up, and he says, you know, you can, you can come and get me. Um, and he does. You know, returns him to his parents. You know, the media gets word of it. It's, it's basically solved at that point. Yeah. It, it kind of does. That's not the ending, though. Um, you know, Deer and, and Dallas, they have sort of a relationship afterwards mm-hmm. um, where just, you know, providing comfort, kind of a fatherly figure. Um, and he gets a series of kind of concerning phone calls uh, mm. from from Dallas, saying that the problems that he was talking about earlier, uh, they've continued. They haven't. The really, bullying. The bullying. You know, struggling with the sexuality. Yeah, yeah. The pressure from his parents, especially. Um, and one year and one day after he went missing from the tunnels, mm-hmm. he fatally shot himself. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, Deer told me that he he had a phone call a little bit before, and he said, you know, like. Detective, like things haven't improved, you know, they haven't gotten better at all, um, and that was really the last he had ever heard of him. Wow. So this case, kind of, especially his his untimely death, kind of caused an uproar um, within the Dungeons and Dragons community because he was so associated with that game that people thought, you know, anybody who played it would sort of be driven to suicide somehow. It even inspired a movie called Mazes and Monsters with. Tom Hanks. With Tom Hanks in his first leading role, wow. right? Uh, where he plays this character that gets overly involved in a role-playing game and then eventually... Um, because I think it's it's interesting that, you know, the way that you just told us about yeah. this Dallas story is not the way that it's told in so much... I mean, it was such a... So much media and the movies and the books and the radio and all that, um, but it's like it's sensationalized in a way. It is, Into yeah. all of this fear over, like, this Dungeons and Dragons becoming this satanic thing and how it motivated this kid to do all this weird stuff and go disappear into these tunnels. Um, 
and it really became so much bigger than it truly was. Yeah, no, that's that's very true. Yeah. Well, you know, beyond just Dallas, because that's obviously a very high-profile example, mm-hmm. you talk to a lot of people who have also been down in these tunnels, spent time down there. Tell me about other MSU students who have, you know, made a hobby out of just hanging out in the tunnels. Yeah, so I should note that they were first built in 1904, mm-hmm. um, you know, just as a new way of providing heat to the university. But by the 1960s, that's when the first, you know, reported case of somebody um, (laughs) going into the tunnels for fun. Uh, And I talked to, you know, one of the people at the time that did that, uh, and I, his name's Will. Mm. Uh, He told me that, yeah, at the time he had a friend in the dorms that, you know, was trying to make a map of the tunnels, and occasionally Mm. that he would, um, you know, lead him down into the tunnels with him and just show him around. He said it was, it smelled a little bit weird. Um, And later, and that's the thing, this is, this is what happens to really a lot of the people that I talk to that have been in the tunnels. It really, it sticks with them, mm. you know, and afterwards they become inspired and they make media about it. I mean, the, the, this individual, he wrote a book and he included the MSU steam tunnels as a mm. location in it. It's, it's, a, it's a novel. Um, but he was, it was just on his mind even 60 years later. Um, and yeah, but that's not the only person that have been in them. I mean, yeah. there were in 2015, uh, five students were arrested uh, for going in the tunnels. Wow. I mean, we found all those social media posts, people talking about right, Reddit right. and stuff. Like online, everybody says, yeah, you. I, I mean, went they, down there through this entrance. This is how you get in, how you get out. Like, exactly. Um, people are, so, what is you know this widespread fascination? All these people finding and being fascinated by the same thing, just hanging out down in those tunnels. You and your story, you talk to people who try and get to the bottom of like, you know, well, why do we, um, why do we like this? Why are so many people into this? Can you talk me through what's the what's the appeal? What's the draw? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think it's similar to what I was experiencing when I see, you know, the the, the world lit up from below in mm-hmm. those steam tunnel grates. It's just this intrigue. I, I talked to a, an expert, I guess, on the underground. He wrote yeah. a book about um, underground spaces, hidden spaces. Uh, it's really great. His name's Will Hunt. Uh, the book is called underground I believe (laughs) yeah makes sense and he tells me that you know throughout all of society you have these these tales of people going into these deep dark places and re-emerging kind of transformed and there's something alluring about it Uh, it's basically you know people are able to project their their known feelings onto the unknown you know if if Mm -hmm. there's something you fear in society you you project it onto what you don't know um, and, and that's the case, you know, what, from what we've seen with these tunnels. People have said that there are, you know, there are, like, uh, people, uh, criminals, you know, in, in the tunnels. Well, actually, it's another odd thing yeah, in the story. This yeah, yeah. private detective, William C. Deere, he says while he's observing these tunnels that he develops this theory that they're connected to some sort of string of elaborate sexual assaults. Right, right. He's convinced that there are basically, yeah, yeah, yeah like rapists in, in the tunnels that pop out and, and you know, assault people. And mm-hmm. he's, he claims that he saw a tunnel uh, vent move once, and, and he's convinced that it wasn't one of the student explorers that he was so closely studying, but it was actually a, you know, one of these perpetrators really? of, of these crimes. Um, and, and we see sort of a similar thing. It's not just, you know, criminal uh, level, but it's it's also kind of conspiracy. Um, you know, I, I talked to someone who said they saw eight men in suits, mm-hmm. in business suits, one by one crawl out of an entrance um, right outside the administration building. And she was really, I mean, this was first reported actually by the state news in 2003. Mm-hmm. I talked to her 20 years later, and she, she stands by the state. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She now works at a university herself. 
And um, she says, you know, it was, it was kind of a really strange experience. She was she was scared, and she couldn't help but wonder. I mean, what's down there? Like business suits, like business suits. suits. Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like like businessmen. I wonder what they're doing? Uh, yeah, she thinks that there's you know some sort of nuclear bunker, you know, a contingency of of some sort under the university, especially really? you know by the admin building, mm. is is what kind of prompted Classic. that fear. I wasn't able to confirm that. You know, this uh, spokesperson Emily Grott said that she wasn't aware of anything um, really? down there, uh, part of any emergency plan. But um, yeah, 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 there's something that really draws it, uh, draws people to those spaces. And I talked to somebody else. He's a filmmaker, a local indie horror filmmaker, yeah. who kind of uses that to his advantage. He says that there's, um, you know something that's just perfect for horror movies about underground and he's actually filmed yeah the idea right. of these tunnels like yeah no he's filmed two movies in the msu steam tunnels uh the really? infrastructure planning facilities team ipf they let him down there and and he uh filmed two kind of elaborate you know one there is a a monster that lives in in the tunnels under this fictional university mm. that uh, you know occasionally grabs students and eats them it's cannibal um and another one they uh, students, uh, they're involved in this larger plot, and they hide uh, another student's body in the tunnels when a, uh, a party goes wrong. Right. And just all of these things, it's this perfect dark, dim setting um, for for tragic events. Yeah. You know? It is. It's scary, but it's... And that's kind of like the same thing with the Dallas case, you know, is that people right. project all of these cultural perceptions of, you know, oh, there's Satanism and the kids are playing the Dungeons and Dragons and they're leaving our religion behind and all that, sort of, I guess, in the 80s with Dallas got projected onto the MSU tunnels. Um, and you explore that in a really great way in your article. And then sort of the pushback from sort of the Dungeons and Dragons community um, trying to defend themselves and it's handled well in the story. Um, and you, you know, were so fascinated by these tunnels that not only have you, you know, put together this accounting of the tunnels underneath MSU, but you went beyond MSU, and you found that there are other universities that also have similar networks of underground steam tunnels, and you talked to some of those explorers. Tell us a little bit about the tale of the tunnel bobs. Yeah, yeah, so it's a very common system for these large universities mm -hmm. to have. And coincidentally, this is so common for people to explore these things that two universities have these similar figures. They're both named Tunnel Bob. Mm -hmm. um, so at University of Michigan, there was somebody in the 70s um, who never, he never gave his real name to the press. I, I did talk to him, um, mm -hmm. didn't give me, you know, uh, permission to publish his real name either. But his name, you know, uh, was, he just, he's known by Tunnel Bob because a security guard uh, would see him all the time and just sort of gave him that nickname and it stuck. And everybody really? at, at U of M knows him by Tunnel Bob and he's just this infamous figure that, yeah, he would, he would explore the tunnels. He told me that he, he uh, was in the tunnels one day. He found access to this room full of these jars um, that had fetuses in them, you know, floating in this sort of formaldehyde, you know, glowing UV light, all of this spooky stuff. It was in the basement of, of the biomedical building, mm -hmm. apparently. Uh, and, and the tunnels just led there, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and it's, it's funny because coincidentally um, in, what was it? University of yeah University of Wisconsin Madison. There's another individual named Tunnel Bob. Another Tunnel Bob. Yeah, these yeah, are yeah. these are two figures. Or? No, so they don't know each other at all. I asked uh, oh. U of M's Tunnel Bob if they've ever spoken. He said no. Uh, they know of each other. They do know of okay. each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's familiar with with the other Tunnel mm -hmm. Bob. Uh, but this Tunnel Bob, he's 
same sort of thing. People thought that he lived in the tunnels. He's he's since denied that in an interview. Um, you know, people say that he's he's he lived down there because he's scared of uh, of women. You know, he's a Vietnam wow. vet. He's shell shocked, um, and and those things generally aren't true. He's just yeah. really likes the tunnels, like all these other folks. Yeah, yeah. Theo, this again to those of you listening, you got to read this story. It's amazing. You have spent. So much time being so thorough, chasing down all of these leads about this system of steam tunnels. I gotta ask you, for the listeners of the 1909, this is still a news podcast. I gotta ask hard-hitting right. questions. Have you been down in the tunnels? Alex. No. Okay. Really? Yeah. Right. I, have I been tempted? <laughs> no. 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 Not even not even attempt. You're not at all tempted. No. Maybe to celebrate the publication of your big story, one time in the tunnels? <laughs> well, once it's published, you know they're going to be locking it up. Right? <laughs> yeah, you're ruining it for everybody. They're going to be installing right. those motion sensors. Well, Theo, thank you so much for coming on the show, delighting us with this wonderful tale. It's always a joy to have you on. You're on a lot. And as I've said before, we don't pay you for it because you're not right. the host, but you're on pretty much every episode. So, um, yeah, he's here out of the good of his heart, folks. All right, Theo, thank you so much. Great talk to you as always. Thank you, Alex. Yeah. Have a good one. All right. Well, Demonte, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thanks, Alex. Great to be on. Yeah. So you've been doing, you know, a lot of great reporting. You're our new student affairs reporter, writing about, you know, ASMSU, which is the undergraduate student government, student clubs, student organizations, and these coalitions. And this week, you've written a story about sort of a major shakeup to the major kind of coalitions for student groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and before we get into that, though, I want you to just explain because there's so many acronyms and jargon and words that just get thrown around. The Cores and Cops Coalition. We talk about it a lot. We don't always explain what it is. Tell us, for those who might not know, what is Cores and Cops? What does it do? So Cores and Cops Coalition, um, acronym of itself, is the Coalition of Racial and Ethnic Students and the Council of Progressive Students. Mm-hmm. Um, the organization has been around since 2013, uh, has done a lot of great work mm-hmm. in advocating for students of colors and other marginalized communities on Michigan State University's campus, including advocating for the multicultural mm-hmm. center, which is in construction as yeah. you speak. So that new, that center, the board passed you know, a massive budget for it. Mm-hmm. Last year, that was the product of sort of this kind of advocacy by this coalition? Right, yes. I see. And so it's CORE's is racial and ethnic students, council of, or COPS is mm-hmm. council of progressive students. Right. I see. But yeah. it's, things are changing. Mm-hmm. And you wrote about it this yes. week. Tell us what happened. How did the whole thing blow up? So the... What basically happened mm-hmm. was in January on January twenty seventh, sorry, mm-hmm. um, Black Student Alliance, aka BSA, released a statement via social media informing its community that the student organization will be withdrawing from a course and cops coalition due to lack of transparency. Well, don't want to say lack of transparency, but lack of communication, mm-hmm. um, unauthorized allocation of funds. Um, and a whole bunch of other stuff that has been at hand. So BSA, mm-hmm. you know, was one of the members of this coalition. I know that, you know, the university provides some funds to this coalition to do kind of events and some of the advocacy work and stuff. Mm-hmm. You're saying that, you know, they were doing that without spending that money, without communicating with, without getting authorization from BSA, one of the members? Um, according to the statement, yes. I see. Mm-hmm. A week later, you see Apaso and Crew, which is the Asian Pacific American Student Organization, and Culturalist de las Rosas. The, the Latinx Student Organization, yeah, the right? The Latinx yeah. Student Organization both announced on the same day that they too will be withdrawing from the Course and Cops Coalition 
um, I think that the apostle student group went into full depth of one of the many factors that led to the withdrawal of all three of these organizations. Mm-hmm. And the reasons the reasons were similar was communication using funds without permission from the members. So each of the statement is very similar to uh, BSA's statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, mentions lack of communication, unauthorized allocation of funds. Well, per se, the student organization's consent or knowledge. Um, but I believe Apostle's statement goes into full detail. Um, it reads basically since the organization was founded in 2013, higher administration have took approximately $5,000 from each student group without mm-hmm. their, again, cassette nor full knowledge, I should say. I see. So they feel like, you know, the administration is taking this money from these student groups for these coalitions and that they're not getting much for it. Is that fair to say? Um, I'm not sure if, if that would be fair to say, mm-hmm. but I would say it is a factor, one of the many factors at hand of... Is sort of that, mm-hmm. the $5,000 that's drawn from each group. Right. I see. So what about, you know, the other thing that I thought was interesting about the statements is that, you know, cores and cops obviously work together, they're described together a lot, but they are sort of separate, and mm-hmm. they, you know, the statements were pretty clear in differentiating that they felt a little bit differently about cores than they did about cops. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that, the difference between these two coalitions? Yeah, so cores itself has been around for a few years now, longer than a cores and cops coalition mm-hmm. has. Um, to my understanding, cores and cops has been around for 10 years now, mm-hmm. um, since 2023. But cores itself uh, basically serves more of a space for students of color and mm-hmm. marginalized students on campus and has been since its founding. And each of the statement reiterates that even though that they are leaving the cops, course and cops coalition, sorry, um, they are completely sort of it. open. I think it's, it sort of felt like, you know, they're leaving cores and cops, but mm-hmm. they're keeping the door open for course. Is that fair to say? I would say for certain that it looks like that they're still open to working with cops um, if they need any help, um, their phone call away, whatnot, but they're just kind of leaving, push, like moving aside. From Withdrawing the, kind of formally from the coalition, it feels like, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. And so, but where does that leave cops? Because, you know, cops is, it's four groups, right? Mm-hmm. It's crew, it's BSA, it's APASO, and it's um, NASO, which is a Native American student organization. I mean, what is it? Do we know what the future of COPS looks like when three out of the four members have withdrawn? I mean, it's not, is, can you be a coalition with one group? As of this episode, North American Indigenous Student Organization, or NASO, they are still currently in connections with the Chorus and COPS Coalition, mm-hmm. um, but it's currently unclear of where, yeah. where that leaves the coalition as a whole. Yeah. With a mass majority of its coalition itself withdrawn. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, thank you for taking the time to cover this. This is obviously a very complicated story, and I know that you're going to stick with it. And so we might have you on once we have a little bit more clarity on what this all means for sort of the future of Cores and Cops. But thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Nice to be on. That's all for now, but we'll be back next week with fresh reporting from the great minds here at the State News. Until then, the stories we discussed and plenty more are available at statenews.com. Thank you to my guests, Damante and Theo. Our podcast editor, Anthony Brinson, and video producer, Brad LaPlante. And most of all, thank you for listening. For the 1909, I'm Alex Walters.